Greetings, future fossils. Michael Garfield here with another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. One of the interesting things, I think, about history as a specific subset of the study of our location in the landscape of all moments... History is a telling, you might say, of how we got it wrong. History is a study of all of the mistakes that we've made. There's that awesome TED Talk, You Have No Idea How Wrong You Are. And I think about that a lot while working on this show. How regardless of the insight and expertise that we bring to our investigations of the worlds of the past and future... Really, it all boils down to the fact that we can't truly know. We are always projecting a presentist bias into these realms inhabited by our ancestors and descendants. And that's sort of one of the things that continues to frame and intrigue these conversations for me. This notion that people living in the future will need as much help as they can get in understanding what it was really like to be alive today. But good grief, is there any possible way that we can imagine what we have to look forward to? The increasingly common sentiment, of course, is that we're barreling headlong into a singularity, a moment beyond which no predictions are sufficient But aren't we living on the other side of a singularity right now? The singularity of language, the singularity of multicellularity. This week's guest is John Peterson, a futurist from the Arlington Institute, someone whose newsletter Future Edition I've been following for almost a decade. And one of the crucial insights that John has brought into my life is that the horizon over which we cannot imagine or model the future is not populated exclusively by spiritual machines and biotechnological godlike human beings. That's, again, just more of our ultra-humanist presentism leaking into this negative space of the imagination. If you look at what people thought the year 2000 would be like in 1900, it is laughable. And if Ray Kurzweil is right and we can expect more change in this century than we've undergone over the last 20,000 years, then I suppose our projections are 200 times as laughable as those Victorian cartoons. So we look to the fringes of the known. We look with humility about what we think we understand, and we open our minds to possibilities that we would otherwise refuse. So this podcast is an especially fun and weird one for any of you skeptical, scientistic types out there. I encourage you to keep your minds open because (laughs) some of the things that John suggests may take precedence in our future are truly weird, wild, and strange. I think it's really important as good scientists practicing a respectful subservience to the truth to remember that mystery is at the heart of these inquiries and at risk of abusing a cliche there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophies so buckle in this is a very fun episode at least it was for me I apologize for getting it out late this week, but I was in Kansas City visiting family over the holidays. 
So thanks again to everybody who supports this show on Patreon. It has been my lifelong dream to live as a writer and speaker and to help people articulate their ideas and navigate our age of turbulence and renaissance. And if you're interested in helping support that work, you can contribute a small monthly amount to this podcast and to the essays and other work that I'm writing at patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. All of you guys that are doing this, you're helping me pay rent and I love you. Thank you so much. And of course, I'm always looking for new ways to express that gratitude to Patreon subscribers. So if you have any ideas about what would make this mutual gifting more fun for you, then feel free to send me an email at futurefossilspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can say hello in the Facebook group. I post a lot of exciting future news in that group, much of which is actually drawn from John Peterson's newsletter. So without further ado, here's that conversation. Enjoy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Future Fossils Podcast. I'm here with John Peterson of the Arlington Institute. He is a reputable futurist that I have been following for some time. The Future Edition newsletter is, is one of my favorite inbox items. It's like it makes me as excited as I, I used to be to get things in the mail. So welcome on board, John. Nice to be with you, Michael. <laughs> I'm glad you're following reputable uh, uh, futures. <laughs> well, I mean, in that, you know, in that consideration, we have to, you know, take in you know, Arthur C. Clarke's whole statement about if if what the futurist tells you is believable, they're probably wrong. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that, and particularly in a time of uh, high rates of change uh, like we're living in right now. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> And all you have to do is uh, follow the politics, and you know that if you believe what they tell you, uh, then uh, you're probably it's probably wrong. Uh, it's it's a, an extraordinary time. It's just a fascinating. I kind of. I don't quite pinch myself, but I kind of, you know, mentally pinch myself every once in a while. Say, how in the freaking world is this going on? I mean, this is really extraordinary. It's the biggest change in, uh, uh, you could argue, in recorded history. And it's accelerating, and it's just going faster and faster. And how, how you keep up with that and how you, how you make sense out of it is really an intriguing kind of problem or an issue. Because uh, by definition, you're into space that has not in the, existed before. Uh, you're 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 moving rapidly out of out of the box uh, that's defined by the past, and so uh, all of the experts and all of the experience that you have, and and for the for that matter, most of the capabilities and the and the uh, luggage that you bring with you is all from the past, you know, and so it doesn't work in this new space where, where it's just going into a new paradigm that just is, by definition, is not going to work. 
in the same way that the past one is. And so it's it's a, an intriguing kind of period of time. Is how do you how do you get out of the box and uh, and not buy everything that uh, that shows up and that anybody says, but at the same time be permeable and open enough that you are able to uh, to see the incoming kind of rays of light that uh, indicate that uh, what's out there on the horizon is inbound. That's one of the more interesting things I think about your practice specifically is that it seems like the Arlington Institute is far more receptive than most people in the future conversation to looking outside into these areas that that are, you know, like um, working with cryon, you know, like the, like channeled communications and stuff like that, where it's like, it's, it's well, let me, let, let me tell you about that. Yeah. Let me tell yeah. you about that. I mean, you know, if you know a little bit about my background, I came out of the military and worked in the White House and, you know, worked with leaders in the military and all that kind of stuff. And I'm an engineer by education. So I'm a pretty straight ahead, kind of logical kind of guy. And, uh, uh, I was uh, had a contract with the, de- the Secretary of Defense to go out and look at uh, emerging new ways to look at the future and ran around the world and looked at a bunch of things. And part of the process that I did, it came, became clear to me that the, that the future emerges uh, out at the edges, right? It doesn't come out of the middle. It's out at the edges. And, and uh, so you've got to go out if you want to find out what, might be uh, might be coming this way. You had to go out to the edges, and so I went to this conference up in uh, Colorado. Uh, New science. This is back in 1989, and uh, and uh, and and it, it's kind of a long story, but but uh, I heard. Cleve Baxter give a presentation, and listen, I had no idea what was going on, and I go down there in the morning, and this guy who says he's a polygraph expert for the CIA, and listen, I know what that is, I, and uh, so that's instant credibility, and uh, and then he proceeds to talk about how that, uh, you know, he's sitting around one day and says, I wonder if I wa- wire up a plant, uh, will the, uh, if, I, if I could make anything, you know, if I could watch the the lie detector do anything on it and and the long and short of it is he found out that they're sentient and they're smart and they understood who he was and they knew that he was coming into the room and they could read his thoughts and they knew what he was going to do and they could figure out other people a god and it just blew my freaking mind i just went up in my room and thought my head was going to blow up and i put my head in my hands and said what is this what is this and it was all kind of downhill from there. And so then I, I had enough. I had the kind of security tickets that allowed me to go. And I had heard about this remote viewing program that, uh, that the military, that the government, that the CIA had. And and I poked around and I found these guys. And so they're using psychics to spy on the Soviet Union and the and the and the Chinese and you know anybody else, I guess. And I got to know these people. And God. It was amazing. They could find a submarine at the bottom of the ocean. They could tell you what was happening to somebody in the middle of prison on the other side of the planet. They could literally go up and where a satellite was going to be in two months and tell you what the satellite was going to be able to see or the 
uh, 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 a space probe. And it was just, you know, it was obvious and it was clear that there was more to all of this than uh, than was than than conventional kind of approaches had to say about it. And and so then if you if you port that kind of, of, of mindset over into a time of exponential change and you say, wow, we're going into this space where there is no precedent, where, you know, things are just so out of the freaking box. Uh, and uh, and all of the, the the indications are that there is something that's going to happen here that you cannot make sense out of in convention in the terms that exist right now. We're in the previous paradigm, and it just does not make sense out of what's where we're going. Well, in that kind of a space. Then you got to say to yourself, well, how in the world do I get a perspective? How do I get an outside uh, uh, idea from, about about where this might be going? And let me tell you, uh, you sh- certainly shouldn't buy into everybody who says that they're channeling somebody because I've got some experience to tell you that that's a losing uh, a positive <laughs> situation. But, uh, but there are... Uh, a handful of very, very credible people who are plugged into things like Lee Carroll in the Cryon. And Cryon, for 26 or 7 years now, has been talking to this guy. I mean, he just showed up in the middle of his head one day, and he was not interested at all in this stuff. But Cryon said, I understand we, you know, we designed the science and you're part of the universe way back at the beginning. And we're going to tell you how this stuff works. And for 26 years, Cryon's been saying, here's how it works. Here's how the biology works. Here's how cellular uh, dynamics work. Here's how it's, it's, it's astronomy. And, 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 it, and it just is really uh, gives you a real advantage and a real leg up on this whole thing because they start to have this big picture about where things are going. And Cryon, for instance, 10 years ago, started saying it's going to get cold. Uh, you guys ought to plan for this. Get ready because it's going to get cold. And then next year he'd come up and he'd say it's going to get cold. Start planning for this. This is a natural thing. It's going to get cold. And then he kept doing it. And then a year ago, he spent a whole a whole 45 minutes doing nothing but explaining the underlying cycle and how that the oceans are turning over. And it happens on a regular kind of basis. And humans have nothing to do with it. And it's going to get cold. It is not going to get warm. And you better get ready. And shoot, now you're into scientists from Russia that are starting to say, yeah, so many ice ages inbound, and now you've got NASA saying, yes, well, this, it may, the climate may be Im- impacted by the sun, you know. <laughs> are you are you freaking kidding me? I, the, the biggest energy source in this part of, of the galaxy that might have something to do with uh, the, the climate on this planet? Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, so it's just very helpful, and and so I try to integrate that. And people like Cliff High at Half Past Human. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, Cliff. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, dude. Well, he, I mean, he's a big brain that I'm out of out of Microsoft kind of back early and <clears throat> went off and figured out how to 
to this technology that uses web bots, millions of them, if not billions of them, that run all over the web and look at language. And his basic premise is that human beings are basically uh, uh, psychic and that they they receive these inbound messages from whatever big events that are happening on the on the horizon that are likely inbound and it shows up in their language and it's not explicit it's kind of of uh, new terms and new ideas that show up in regular kind of conversations and so he he surveys the whole web you know like constantly the week after week after week and looks at the changes and the new ideas and the new concepts that are coming up and where they're coming up and so on and he's got this thing down to where he's something approaching 80 percent accurate and being able to predict where what what's inbound and uh, he too is talking about it's going to get really cold and uh, as well as all kinds of things about politics and so on and so i guess i i just think that you know if you want to quote carl sagan that ex- uh, a variation on sagan that says extraordinary times require extraordinary sources or something like that i think that i think that's what you need yeah, well, that's a, that's actually an interesting place to branch off for a moment because I watched a while ago you released a 90-minute video presentation on the deconstruction of the scientific argument for global warming. And, you know, that that's a very touchy subject because you, you make the point in, at the end of the video that it's important for us to differentiate between acknowledging that we have this extraordinary impact on our ecosystems and that we need to turn that around and that we you know it's it's very important to recognize our our role as stewards due to the sort of burden of our awareness of our participation in this but at the same time not to confuse that with the issue of you know gl- global carbon sequestration enforcement and all of you know the, all of the, the way that this issue has been politicized yeah 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 so well uh, there's a lot of money in here and uh as as so many other folks have suggested a deep throat among others uh follow the money and uh and if you follow the money, there's a great deal of taxes and carbon taxes and other kinds of stuff where people can make a great deal of money. And then if you if you track who are the people who are kind of pushing all of this, then that that that, that by itself should kind of pull you up short and make you have second thoughts about what this is about. But so the argument was that the books have been cooked, basically, statistically, that we're not looking at the long enough time horizon, right? That, that it's like if you, you if you actually look out past the, sure. the younger sure. Dryas, like out to like 100,000, 200,000 years, you get a completely different portrait of the atmosphere. Absolutely. I mean, they, they say it's hotter than it's ever been. Well, that's baloney. I mean, that maybe it may be warmer in certain areas or something in the last hundred years or something uh, like that. But if you go out uh, for the last 12,000 years, then this is cooler than on average for the last 12,000 years. And if you go out there to the ice corings from the Antarctic and Greenland, and Greenland, what you find out is that uh, there were uh, three other times when it was dramatically a lot warmer than it is now, and that there is a cyclical, a clear kind of 
of regular kind of process by which it gets hot and then cold and hot and we're at the end of a of a warming area, a, a, an extraordinary kind of warming period, and and if anything, uh, it's likely that it's going to get cold just by looking at that. But uh, your your cooking the books notion is that the guys from the IPCC from the UN, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, have literally gone back and changed the graphs of the history of. Uh, of these ice corings and uh, and what we know about the past uh, to make it consistent with their ideas and they've also gone and done the same thing with data from <clears throat> from weather sensing stations across whole countries uh, and they've gone back and manipulated the data i mean it's a great deal of kind of fraudulent it's kind of stuff going on in this space <laughs> so where else do you see as far as not necessarily fraud but our expectations seem to be completely diametrically opposite from the picture as it seems to be shaping up for you well the problem is a variation of what we mentioned just earlier and that is that experts are all expert by definition on the past right i mean they don't have anything else to be expert about and we have this inclination to believe these people who may be able to describe the past quite well, but have no basis for being able to work their way into an extraordinary kind of new environment that, that doesn't look like the past. And um, and, and human beings uh, really don't like change, and they really want kind of some variation uh of familiarity, uh, it, it, and it shows itself up many, many different kind of places in life. Uh, uh, that it's just really hard to kind of deal with change, and so, uh, and, and and if you layer on top of that reputations and and funding flows and any number of other kind of things that are all an integral part of the equation about why people uh, believe what they do and support what they do and defend what they do, then you've got a huge kind of system to defend the status quo in one way or another. And so that happens in politics. It happens in uh, certainly and it happens in science. Uh, it happens in in uh, economics. I mean, there's huge pressure to maintain the present kind of system in one way or another. There's all kinds of indications to say Nikola Tesla had capabilities of what allowed us to have unlimited kind of free energy around and that they subverted all that and, and that it's probably available some places, but it's all in deep programs and then you add all of this kind of the function of government and all the kind of money that they have and that they're spending it, most of it on on things that we don't understand. I mean, the reports that are out now say that the U.S. there's $11 trillion that are missing from the last about decade that nobody can figure out and the government has no way to... And you say to yourself, what in the world? Where is that going? I mean, that could support a whole kind of parallel universe almost of, of activity. And some people are suggesting that there is something like that that might be going on. And 
let me tell you from having worked in the government once these guys get a bunch of money and they get the, the security clearances and all of that and they can make it all secret and everything then there's huge pressure to just keep the machine going and so there's lots of reasons why people have a hard time and so that, by the way, is the underlying argument for why this is the most extraordinary time in history for to be a futurist, because what you can do is see opportunities and break out of all of that and and see things coming. And let me tell you, there's extraordinary things in route. Say one of the one of the hot items now to place this recording in time is the the recent announcement on Elon Musk's purchase of Neuralink and the way that this this issue of the I'm going to uh, like throw my hand here and admit a sort of like critical or cynical perspective on this but the like you know Yuval Harari has talked about the the religion of Silicon Valley this notion yeah. of like the the human as a computer and there being sort of a you know or cybernetic totalism and it seems that the the prophecy of that religion uh, that we have this imminent merger of humans and technology is now being discussed in Business Insider magazine. And it's this, this weird, we're like, we're in this space now that's very strange where you're seeing a very sort of vanilla suit type yeah. human being yeah. talking about implanting neural you know brain yeah, machine interface yeah, technologies yeah. into their brains yeah this is this is a big deal this is a really big deal for reasons that most people don't even begin to understand first of all those kinds of folks listen i have a great deal of admiration for elon musk and uh, you know ray kurzweil is an acquaintance of mine and i've had him you know keynote conferences that i had and so on and and I really appreciate what he's doing in anticipating technology and some other things. But these guys do not understand the multidimensionality of this reality. The consciousness and increases in consciousness and so on are not a part of their uh, kind of at least their overt conversation. And furthermore, they don't understand the uh, sentience of the whole system. They do not understand that the sun is alive. They don't understand that the center of the galaxy is a conscious entity. They don't understand that there's information that's being communicated to us from the sun on a daily basis. And that there are, you know, when there are uh, coronal mass ejections and other such things, that, that, that this is information that is transmitted to our DNA and it influences who we are. And it has the distinct potential of changing who we are, which is what seems to be happening right now. Our DNA, so, there, so a, new, a new human being is emerging. And so, in, in a sense, what they are is extrapolationists. What they're doing is that they've got the trajectory, and they, they're right on the kind of the technology directory, but it's unidimensional. And it doesn't include all of these other kind of things that are in play. And, and and you've got to consider that. I'm, let me tell you, if you go 25 years of a mini ice age, which is what it looks like it's going to be, then you've got this contextual wrench that's thrown into the middle of all of these kind of extrapolations that are headed headed off into this off into the future. And 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 these kind of guys brilliant and wonderful as they are just don't don't do that. They don't do that. 
and none of them and none of them consider the 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 uh, the fundamental catalytic uh, mechanism of this era, which is, uh, as Willis Harmon wrote about, is a global mind shift, that there is something in the works here that is changing the essential nature of who we are, that there is an emergent new human being that's coming out of this that is going to be literally a different kind of organism. I mean, you've got kids that have three and four strands of DNA now, and none of, you know, guys like me, the, the, you know, everybody I see around here almost certainly only has two strands of DNA. <laughs> and the organism is reorganizing itself <clears throat> to to be able to deal with all of this change. And so if you... If you go, uh, if you if you do a vector into you know toward the horizon, that's a technology only vector. Then, then you're missing the bigger parts of this. And and if if you presume, listen, their logic is right within the context that they are. If you do general artificial general intelligence into a very an extrapolation of the present world, then of course you're going to have big problems. They're going to try to weaponize it. They're going to get out of control. They're going to come after us. You know that you've got all of this stuff that you could turn. But 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 if there's a new consciousness, if there's a whole new thing, if there yeah you know then it, then it all starts to change. And uh, if you got a new human that emerges that's got telepathy, hey, and uh, knows if you're telling the truth or not, and as some sources say, can start to see auras around you and look at somebody and tell immediately whether what their history is and whether they're telling the truth and how they're feeling and so on. And uh, if you can manifest things, you know, there's a lot of these guys are the, the sources that are saying we're on our way to being able to just this shorten this distance between consciousness and causality. And uh, if you can, I mean, tell me what that does to an economy that's all based <laughs> upon manufacturing. And sure, you can do 3D manufacturing until the day goes to the end, of, you know, till the end of the day. But if I can just kind of think about something if I do it the right way and it starts to show up. I mean, this is all crazy and wild kind of stuff, but this is pretty reasonable kind of possibilities in the face of paradigm shift. And this is a paradigm shift that, that if it's anything like historical precedents are, I mean, there's a there's an order of magnitude increase in knowledge in a short period of time. Kurzweil alone says there's a million times more knowledge that shows up in this century than the last century. Well, God, how do you ride that kind of wave with conventional kind of thinking uh that's enough to kind of drive you out of the box i would think totally that's actually you know that's been my my uh response to the the kurtzwheel projections or rather specifically the whole project of the immortalists and this notion that you can keep you now going as you through another century or more of this kind of accelerating transformation it's like you know if were you to 
regardless of the substrate upon which you're basing this, you know, were you to upload yourself into a computer and suddenly you're running at a million times the speed of your biological brain, like the way that, you know, so many of these people talk about this, this particular techno utopian fantasy that that means that you're, you know, you're going to, you're going to evolve a million years over the next year the identity problem just magnifies ex- exponentially in that case. Like you're not going to be the guy that you were, you know, and it does, well, of course you're not. And more than that, you know, that presumes that you're kind of locked into the mechanics of your brain as it is right now. And, and that somehow it's all kind of emerges out of your brain and, and that, discounts the, the, the fact that the brain is nothing but an antenna it's a transducer that's downloading this information from a larger field that's around this planet and more than that it has nothing to do with intuition it has it has no no provision for kind of this instant kind of understanding about how things work and and if you become sensitive and open to that then god you can go from here to there that fast and not know how you got there but know that you're right in the way you do it and so this kind of logical uh deterministic kind of stuff is is the wrong model this is this is a paradigm shift this is driving us into a different space that does not work on the same principles as it does as this one does the other consideration here when you're talking about the the potential of instant manifestation even if we're going to keep it you know sort of this paradigm and just say that this is about you know nano assembling you know biofab stuff in every garage that there's this diminished latency between the idea of a thing and the reality of a thing and that seems to be that seems to be kind of no matter how we imagine this taking shape that part of it seems to be a stable fixture or a feature of the landscape that we're moving into so you know part of part of i guess what i've been thinking about lately and i'm curious you know how you advise people in this area is that perhaps the in in the same way that it's less these days in education about teaching particular content and more about the curiosity the the persistent learning teaching people to stay learning as things change that there is this it's it's less about teaching people specifically what we're going to have happen to us in the future and more about teaching people how to engage in the correct self-inquiry and moral considerations in a world yeah. where everyone has this superpower of being yeah. like a one-person industry or a one-person na- you know, nation-state type situation. Yeah, there needs to be this uh, <clears throat> openness uh, relative to what we can become rather uh, an understanding that that that's a really open-ended thing. Let me give you an example. Uh, I've got a friend of mine named Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you know who Joe is, but Joe is a New York Times bestselling author. And Joe was a chiropractor, Bentley. He was back in his 20s, and he was an Iron Man, uh, you know, uh, competitor. And he was in this race, on the bicycle part of a race, and he was 
going around the corner and uh, and they they had made a mistake and they let a car in and he hit a car straight on and it broke his back in five different places and he had literally four different orthopedic surgeons who all told him he had to have two steel rods put in his back and he'd never run again and on on and on and uh, he knew about the placebo effect and how that your mind uh, would uh, take something that seemingly had no medicinal value or therapeutic value and could make uh, your, your body change uh, and, and benefit and heal itself. And, and, uh, and so he decided he was going to do that. And he laid on his stomach for six weeks and systematically de- de- developed a methodology for a while. You know, I think he, he's a chiropractor afterwards, after all. So he could visualize each one of his vertebrae and which ones were broken. And he could see, and it would take him eight hours at, at the beginning to get himself into this very kind of concentrated uh, uh, mindset to where he just could see the, one of the vertebrates. He'd start at the top and he could see it and he could turn it around and he could get under it and he could feel it and he could see that it was perfect and he'd move to the next one and he'd move it and he'd say that it was perfect and then finally got it down to where it was. just took him an hour and a half to do it but in six weeks he healed himself. So he could up and run and rock around and everything. And, and, and everybody says, God, how in the world? Is so now he runs around and he teaches people how to do that. And to, just to finish the story, so I'm in a conference with him. And it, it starts on Thursday night, goes through Sunday. And on Friday morning, everybody decides, what are we going to manifest during this conference? And uh, so then he starts having people come up on Saturday. And he calls this guy up and he says, okay, tell him. I mean, there's 600 people in the room. He says, tell him, tell him what happened. And he said, well, I decided I was going to manifest a hummingbird. And, uh, you know, if I'd have gone into a restaurant and there'd have been a little hummingbird on the menu, that would have been fine. And, and I mean, we go through all these, these exercises, these meditative exercises to try to, to, to learn how to do that. And then he said, and so this morning... We had a break, right? We're sitting around these tables in the ballroom in this hotel, and there's a break, and somebody opened a side door, and a hummingbird flew into the room, come in, stood there in front of him, and went right in front of him. Twelve people saw it. It turned around and flies out the flies out the out the door again. And he goes one after another after another, three or four people who were all saying, oh, wanted to see a $2 bill. And they're looking all over the place. And then all of a sudden, he sees one on the tip jar of the guy who's playing in a bar where he was last night. And and it just goes on and on like this. And so there are, there are ways in which that we are on the edge. You know, the way these, these new things emerge is that they bubble up and at different places throughout the system you have these emergent kind of ideas and these new concepts and so there's new things for economy and new things for energy and new things for so on and and so these things start to emerge and things that Joe Dispenza does are an emergent kind of mechanism. They're the early versions of this ability for human beings to learn how to, to manifest stuff and to really uh, expose the extraordinary kind of power and creativity that we have underneath us that we have masked with all this social stuff that we that we've taken on. 
it kind of casts into a new light a lot of these considerations around you know in the future edition newsletter you you do a lot of really excellent reportage on the political situation with respect to surveillance and media and the way that media from different angles will shape the story in different ways and it's you know i think it's if it is the case as is supported so well by the Princeton Engineering Anomalies research stuff and and the you know subsequent global consciousness project research and you know and Cliff High's stuff with Half Past Human that there's this that if we are sort of unwitting or oblivious psychics and that we are in fact constantly engaged in this process of manifestation then we're being you know we're asleep at the wheel right now <laughs> and and, right. and and worse worse <laughs> it may be that this you know that the way that global attention is is sculpted and directed down particular uh creodes as it were you know like point putting so much attention on isis or putting so oh, much no, attention I know, on I know, this stuff. I know. It's like it's it's almost. I mean, it seems almost as though it's uh, not just propaganda, but like really manipulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, you're, oh, you're right. You're right about that. I don't know how weird you want to get on this thing, but it, we can get this weird. Conver- <laughs> this conversation is. If you follow David Icke, I mean, David Icke is uh, a very interesting guy who. Uh, probably more than anybody else on the planet has in a, a fully integrated kind of perception about how this reality works and and, and how the, the different elements of it. What you what you know is that uh, there are uh, human beings are not the only entities on this planet, and that uh, I mean there's a whole book in the Quran dedicated to describing how jinn operate and that they've been here forever and they were here before we are and that they uh, they're a reality and you have to deal with them and the leaders the political leaders in the middle east all uh, conspire and bargain with the jinn and 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 do deals with these individual spirits that can sometimes manifest into our space uh, uh, to, to help them to accomplish what they're interested in. And so they're they're very real. I mean, I know people who study these things and, and, and they've experienced them personally and so on. So, and Bob Monroe at the Monroe Institute found them and said that they exist and they and they and they live off of the negative energy that is generated by humans from terror and fear and and uh, pain and so on and uh, so their interest is in is in maintaining and generating as much of that as they can on this planet and they have an inability to be creative they cannot create anything they cannot certainly they don't love uh and uh the best defense by the way against them is to be in this loving kind of space because you're essentially impervious to them but the fact of the matter is that they can engage or attach themselves or otherwise uh, influence individuals, and they apparently have done that systematically to many kind of people in in senior places in our world, um, in politics and government and business and other such things. And 
And so if you ask yourself, why in the world do we keep doing the stupid things we do? And why do we have these wars that keep going on and everything? You, the only way that uh, I think that you can make sense of about that is you have to work yourself up to this higher level and understand that there is a force in play here that is uh, trying to maintain uh, that those kinds of problems and those kinds of issues because of the because of the negative energy that is produced by the whole thing. But the the good news is that uh, things are changing and that. Uh, that there's an emergent group uh, within uh, humanity, uh, and you and I are both surrounded by folks who uh, are, are part of this new group that see the world and see themselves in, in quite different kind of ways and are uh, oriented. I mean, people talk a lot about frequency and vibration and so on, but there's an orientation toward love and compassion and forgiveness and uh, and, and things like that, that once you get into that space, it raises you to a higher frequency. And that frequency is the frequency that is uh, sympathetic uh, It's uh, to, to this new direction of where we're all going. And what we represent, I would argue, is the kind of the emergent new version of humanity. We are the beginnings of the new human that is going to turn into a new world. And and by the way, uh, there are many, many different sources from ancient times and indigenous and religion and everything else that all talk about a thousand years of peace. Well, it's likely to be about five, five or six thousand years if you buy into the kind of the theory of the yugas, yugas from the Hindu background. And and that could kick off in, you know, as soon as maybe 30 years or something like that. And so you got to kind of ask yourself, what happens between now and then that so fundamentally changes this all reality that those who are mostly dominant in terms of policies and direction about how human beings operate on this earth are no longer interested in violence as a solution to uh, uh, disagreements. God, God, I mean, tell me something pretty cool is going to happen between <laughs> now and then to, to kick that off. Well, that's that's that time frame there is of note, I think, because so much of my considerations lately have been accepting that this isn't whatever change we're going through now is not like it's not going to be done in five years and then we'll be able to all get on with our lives that there is th this year in particular i i was reading um the uh, it was the article on the fourth turning yeah, and how that book influenced Steve Bannon and is influencing yeah, the right. way that exactly. this yeah. administration is carrying out its policies, and this notion from that book that you know we go through these this four generational cycle for listeners who aren't familiar with this book that a society goes through uh, you know because of the length of a human lifespan we tend to forget what we've been through every fourth generation and we, we repeat mistakes of the generation that that just passed and is no longer there to issue their wisdom to us and so in this model the u.s in you know through like the year 2030 or so is going through this shuddering revolutionary upset that's supposed to sort of break ground for abundant and peaceful era but 
all of the people in power in this country right now are are identifying as like the gray warrior revolutionary figures whose job is merely to disrupt the system in some yeah. respects. It's like merely just to break everything up and you know almost chaos for chaos's sake. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm curious. Well, Strauss and Howe were friends of mine. Bill Strauss and Neil Howe back back in the day when I was playing in Washington, and they were too. And so uh, I, I have a real affinity for that model. You know, there's a bunch of different models that all describe different aspects of how we're living and so on. But I, I like what they have to say. Uh, I've taken a, a, a good bit of heat on my newsletter because I've tried to suggest to folks that uh, I mean, you got to understand. I mean, I'm a, I'm a historically a Democrat. I've been involved in democratic politics. I've run pieces of democratic presidential campaigns. I worked as a Democrat in the White House. So, you know, I've been runner up to be the Secretary of the Navy a couple of times as a Democrat. I'm a Democrat, <laughs> uh, and uh, the uh, and, and the. Uh, uh, and, and so, you know, I'm surrounded by wonderful friends who are all just down in the dumps and horrible things about what Donald Trump is doing. And let me tell you, I, I find this man, this guy as a, as a human being pretty distasteful. But that said, what you have to do is, I think, is back away from this all and watch in the big sweep of things and say, just like you've suggested, what is the role that he is playing in terms of breaking up the system that will allow the emergence of this new world? And uh, you may not uh, like the way he's doing it, and you certainly don't. There's a lot of stuff about the other kind of things that, are, that come along with him. But the fact of the matter is, if you look across what either Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders, who was the guy I really wanted to get to have you have elected. I mean, none of them would have had the guts to stand up and go do the kind of things that he's going to do. And the system may beat him down, but I doubt it. Uh, I mean, the, 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 so I think you've, you've got to take this long. Listen, I'll tell you one more story. I, 20 years ago or so, uh, whenever in the, not quite that long ago. But anyway, I was walking down the street of Zagreb in Croatia with a Dutch friend of mine. And it was uh, George W. Bush was the little George was the president. And I was bitching and moaning to this guy about what a jerk George Bush was. And, and he said, well, maybe he's the shortcut. And I said, what? And he said, well, maybe it's the shortcut. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you could be the shortcut. And I said, what do you mean? Tell me, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he said, well, maybe he's the guy that is so extreme that he drives the whole system over to the other side. And it's the shortcut to get it over back into the middle. And it just, ex that idea exploded in my head. And you just say, God, I mean, if you were if at some stratospheric level playing cosmic chess and you were trying to say, well, now let's see how we're going to get these guys to try to move back to the other side, then you'd just parachute George W., you know, little George into the middle of all of this thing and it'd drive him back. And so then everybody gets Barack Obama and you're all excited about Barack Obama and you, and. And, and he craters. He goes off the end of the world. You, you know, you say, what happened to him? I mean, wait, wait, wait. He, he's not who we thought he was. And, 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 he's, and he's just George, George Bush plus plus. I mean, and, and, and it keeps shaping. It's shaping. It dries it. 
brings new insights and so on. And and that's what's happening with with the Donald, you know, and Steve Bannon and these guys. I mean, they they've got this different point of view. They, by the way, they understand uh, the soft underbelly of the present system, which is really got some bad stuff, pedophilia and a bunch of other kind of things in it. And, you know, if they can pull some of that stuff out and 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 unhinge some of the kind of the folks who are driving the present system, then again, it opens up the it generates a vacuum for the emergence of a new world. And that's what we're looking for here. Mm. So like one of the people that we're going to have uh, coming up on this podcast is Parag Khanna, the mm-hmm. uh, you know author of Connectography. And that that whole issue, it's fascinating in it, the, the way that he unpacks this in his work. Because on the one hand, we are seeing this this uh, emergent understanding that the real lines of power are along the lines of infrastructure and of you know cultural interchange, and yet at the same time, you're seeing everybody pull back from this this project of globalism and into these kind of uh, tribal identities of the country or the religion or the ethnic group. And so I'm curious. But, I'm curious how you see like the local and the planetary reconciling in this. Well, there, there are there are two. The, the humanity, certainly Western societies uh, and cultures, break themselves into three kind of basic social psychological kind of groups, and one of them is. Uh, and different people have different uh, kind of tags that they hang on, labels that they put on these things. But you've you've essentially have interdirected, outer directed, and sustenance driven people. And the uh, interdirected ones are the are the are the ones that have they they think for themselves and they they go to their march to their own drummer and they don't care what anybody else says and they hug trees before anybody else does and all of that kind of stuff and they generate the new ideas and they are the ones who uh, are are lead the way into the future now they don't have any money and they don't have any influence because the outer directed ones are the ones who run the systems and they run the businesses and they run the governments and the other kind of things and the outer directed ones take their cues about what they think from the outside, outer direct. And so they're always sitting there with their finger in the wind saying, so which way is this going and which way should I go? And so they lag. And so they show up, uh, you know, three, four, five, it depends, so many years later than the inner directed ones. And suddenly the wisdom of some of the ideas that are generated by the inner directed people show up into the outer directed, and when they see it, then they resources change, policies change, they direct it. Then there's a chunk, there's a big chunk, it might be half of the whole system, that are sustenance-driven. And sustenance-driven, all they want to do is drink, 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 beer and watch tv you know and they don't care about any of this kind of stuff uh it's another conversation for another day about why in the world there are so many of them and they feel this way (laughs) but but uh but the fact of the matter is they don't get mobilized and and less fear and unless they're afraid and that they're threatened in some kind of way and so there is a whole lot of effort being generated to, to, to produce the fear to get those guys to go, you know, keep doing what they're doing. But the, the way this thing kind of breaks down that way is that if you take that basic model, that notion, and you project it into a time of really high rates of change, 
what what you see is that the uh, and this is overstated to be to, for simplicity but if you the interdirected ones are the ones who are going to surf into the web into this new space and they are open minded and they want the ideas and they are going to go go for it and then embrace the change the outer directed, and, and again, this is a, there's, a, there's a better way to say this, but I've already started down this metaphor <laughs> track. So, uh, but they're, uh, they're, the outer directed ones are the ones who are holding on. They want stability. They want predictability. They want to hold on to the familiarity. And so they are going to hold on to the old stuff as long as possible. And let me tell you, holding on to the, to the, to the old stuff is not going to work in this transition. You have got to break yourself loose and understand that the new world is going. And so that is why there are from uh, many of the different sources, uh, both kind of conventional and unconventional, that describe this paradigm shift that we're in is that there's going to be a, a divergence. There's going to be a dichotomy. And there's going to be one group that kind of, like I suggest, surf their way into this new space. They become the uh, kind of the seed group for the new emergent new world. And there are another group that are just going to fold their arms and say, no, 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 this is not where we're going. I don't like this. Take me back to the past. Tell me, take me back to what was familiar. It used to be good, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, they're not going to make it. They're going to, I don't know, reincarnate, go do something else. I don't know. But there's going to be a division here. And what you're watching in politics and other things right now and the economy and the financial systems and in energy and in technology and all of these things are this basic fundamental fragmentation that you can track back to this kind of divergence and the emergence of a new kind of a mind shift or that is going to uh, allow the, uh, the, the, the exposure and the discovery of some extraordinary new kind of capabilities that we can effectively integrate into our life without worrying about somebody going to weaponize them so that it kills more people. Mm. So, I mean, do you think it's then maybe naive to hope for or work for solutions that work for 100% of people? I mean, is it, oh, I mean, my is it yes. just like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, first of all, you cannot change the present system. I mean, this thing is dying. It's structurally unsustainable. And, and so to try to somehow uh, you know keep the, the keep the present you know fix the present system is just a waste of time uh, i know i've been inside of it i spent the you know, <laughs> the majority of my life in there i know how this thing works so don't waste your time on the present system and this is really hard because we are dominated we are pummeled by all of this press and everything trying to get you to think about the present system and we have to start working on building the new world. We can't try to fix the old one. Mm. And and that's what we really need to do. And what I and some of my friends are trying to do is to try to start to systematically think through what this new emergent new world is like. And what are the underlying organizing principles and what are the systems like and what uh, you know, and what are the likely kind of evolutionary kind of what's the path and the process and so on. Because... 
there are all kinds of wonderful people who, uh, many of whom are friends of mine, who are all focused on, uh, you know, making yourself better and meditating and other such things. And believe me, I believe in that, and I do a lot of that. But there's also the mechanics of what is this new world going to look like and how is it going to work? And so I think that the sooner that we can get to the place where I can hold up a model some kind of a, a discussion starter that says, look, at this could be on our horizon and this then we can get there from here to there. And how should we adapt it or change it or what it could be? At least you provide hope because mm. in the in the middle of all of this change, with all of the, uh, the chaos and the uncertainty, the the. Uh, if you don't have some hope, then it's really hard to stay uh, focused on on going forward rather than uh, kind of being being just kind of getting in a defensive mode. So that's what I think you got to do. That is that you got to start thinking out into the future about what this could be and where it's going. And if you had certain kind of energy things and if consciousness was different and if you worked yourself through uh, you know an ice age and you had fundamental kind of change and energy things were available that you didn't have before and uh, you know it could just be wonderful it could be really really extraordinary so we got a few minutes left it seems like a, a good place to just start sketching out that model for people you know like the, the the folks listening obviously in your work on your website the archives of your newsletters and stuff people can get a lot more depth into this start reading into it and, and getting a much clearer view but you know what is your advice now or where do you where would you point people in terms of uh you know the the concrete strategies or like you know practical wisdom that you can offer people in living through this and and you know making it through in a in a life positive constructive creative beautiful yeah. loving kind of way well there there are two things and one of them is kind of an internal or internally oriented one and one of them is uh kind of more externally oriented and an internal kind of point of view is that uh you know, however you describe it, uh, whether this reality is a byproduct only of our consciousness and our ideas and what, however, you know, I don't know what it is, but what I know is that you can't get from here to there without changing who you are and how you see yourself and how you see the world. So there's some personal development work that needs to happen here that results in, uh, again, a mind shift, a perspective shift, a different, you, that, that you naturally look at all of this and you don't internalize what's going on around us because that all that does is generate the fear that they're trying to generate and it gets uncertainty and stress and all this and what you need to do is uh, have this internal confidence and knowledge that this is all going to work out uh, that uh, that the system is ultimately benign that it is loving and it's intelligent and then and that uh, that you can be an integral part of all of that, and you can play there. And that, by the way, is a byproduct. I think is just raising your kind of your frequency. And it's it's really about love. It's about internalizing and and allowing love to uh, be the the core kind of organizing principle of your life uh, in in all of the ways in which that happens. At the same time. Uh, and maybe this is just an extension of the reality that we came from, but uh, and, and I will I will allow that that we may have to change our mind 
there is a parent landing function that needs to happen. And this may be just an extrapolation of my kind of engineer strategist kind of <laughs> process of living in this the, the world where we came from. But nevertheless, subject to, uh, to change as we go along, it's, what I'm saying is that there could be an intuitive flash. There could be all kinds of nonlinear kind of ways in which the essential nature of what the new world could be could show up, uh, and I'm and I'm prepared to allow that. But but I don't know how to do that one right now. But I do know how to think about in systemic structural kind of ways about what the emerging new world might be, and so. Uh, and I've got a whole plan. I've got a whole project that, that is designed to do that. The long and short of it is that there are ways to do this. There's ways to get smart, a few smart people, and I've started this process already, a few smart people together to start to kind of systematically think about what are the basic kind of uh, perceptions and values that are going to likely drive this new world that are going to be core, central to everything. And in time, you could branch this out and have online kind of a fun kind of gaming environments where people could know that they're trying to be part of uh, designing a new world, but they could start thinking about how, how would a new energy thing work or how would transportation work or, or education or whatever. But it would all be related to a core set of values and perspectives and so on that, that colored this whole new world in fundamental kind of terms. And and so we're, we're starting to work on that thing. And I've got uh, some rather significant kind of programs to start to build a model that mm. we can hold up that's easily changeable and designed to be changed into the and to over time. And then uh, I'm working on building a... Um, a retreat center and a resort kind of place that could be the core place where we could start to implement some of these ideas, 300-room hotel and a lot of conference space, uh, spawn things on 400 acres here in West Virginia, and that uh, th that would be a place where you could start to implement these ideas in a program that where you could come to become a new human being. And, uh, you know, there's a variety of other things, a way to communicate new technologies. I've got a little company that's interested in breakthrough technologies that will fundamentally change the world and how to commercialize those. And so there's a number of things on a number of dimensions that all need to happen kind of concurrently, and I'm trying to work on all of them at the same time. I like that. Instead of recruiting people into a, a massive game that turns out to actually be like an ender's game you know you've got all these kids playing this yep. thing and they think they think that's it's exactly a game. right and it that's turns exactly out to be right. you know war it's like you could have the beginner's game where yeah, yeah it, everyone... that's, that's very nice and the difference though is and this is very interesting the difference is that these people know that it's not only a game but they are playing to help build the new world and so they self-select themselves, and it's deeply resonant about who they are and what the role is and what their purpose in life is. And so it, it's a, it uh, brings together this combination of kind of, of, of animating forces uh, and, and incentives to get a whole lot of people, millions of people maybe, ultimately. I've already spent a chunk of money to, to do the basic design of this kind of system. 
so that you could get across this planet from many different disciplines and cultures all working together uh, to try to design this emergent new world. Beautiful. John, where would you have people go find out more about you and your work? Where would you send them? Well, there's a couple of different places. One of them is the newsletter that you kindly mentioned called Future Edition. And that's Future Edition with only one E in the middle, F-U-T-U-R-E-D-I-T-I-O-N. And that's futureedition.org. Uh, and then uh, here in our little resort town in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, which is just 100 miles from Washington, D.C., we have a speaker series. You ought to come here one of these days and come and be our speaker, Michael. That's called uh, Berkeley Springs Transition Talks, and that's at transitiontalks.org. And then the Arlington Institute is at arlingtoninstitute.org, and that's the, kind of the organization that, that's the umbrella for all of this. Awesome. This this talk is long anticipated for me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's great to be with you. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much and, and have a great day. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod Network, an amazing collection of podcasts along with Third Eye Drops, Synchronicity Podcast, It's All Happening, The Astral Hustle. Be sure to go to mindpodnetwork.com and check it out. And if you'd like to support this show, patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. Thanks again. Until next week.